0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to Mark.
1: Glory to you.
0: Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses who were talking with Jesus Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise you, Lord Christ. We do not proclaim ourselves... We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Martin Luther King, Jr. is famously remembered for the speech he gave at the Lincoln Memorial during the March on Washington in August 1963. I have a dream, he proclaimed. Dr. King, he did not say, I have a nightmare. Though he might have. The movement for radical transformation of the country's legacy of racism was at a low point. Violence against demonstrators went unpunished. The Congress was strangely unmoved by the plight of citizens denied access to public accommodations and the right to vote. Dr. King unfurled his dream in banner phrases. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It was a dream right out of Scripture. It sang the promise of a world made new. One witnessed by the prophets of Israel, such as Elijah and Elisha, whose testimony of God's transcendent power was in the air in our first reading. In the gospel, it was the dazzling vision of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration which overwhelmed those hapless fishermen, John and James and Peter. And it was the dream on which the Apostle Paul staked his life. We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. What a twist in the language that Paul used. Slavery. Slavery seen as the free, voluntary, unconditional service of others in a world where slavery normally stood as a form of oppression, buttressed by arbitrary power and violence. That, my friends, that is the crux of the Christian message. God literally emptied God's self to become present in the life of the world in the man of Galilee, Jesus. Meeting him became an encounter that turned inside out the lives of those fishermen and shepherds and tax collectors and the wounded and the poverty-stricken hordes in the Palestine of the first century, not to mention in a a few years the entire Mediterranean world. Your life and mine is changed, too, if and when we meet Jesus, the crucified and living Savior. The the challenge to us, my friends, is the one hidden in Dr. King's rolling rhetoric and for which he gave his life. Do we live by a dream or by a nightmare? God knows that in the first years of the 21st century, the world is gripped by nightmare scenarios. As a people, we are weary of the fruitless and seemingly endless campaign in Iraq. And given our smarts, We fear for an escalation of engagement in the bottomless pit of Afghanistan. Pressing questions about the sustainability of the planet can no longer be shunted aside, even by reluctant public figures. The economy is in a free fall. In the New Hampshire rural community where I live, We see a marginally poor town in a rich state. For many of my neighbors, the daily dilemma is whether to pump gasoline into their SUV for their daily commute an hour or more to their job. and price is going up, if you have noticed. Or pay their mortgage down. Or scraped together enough for a medical appointment, or visit the local Shaws or Walmart. Barely a day goes out without the other conquered Monitor, our newspaper, reporting a violent or self-destructive act by someone who just can't cope with that much pressure. I listen to my fellow citizens as we talk after church or in the grocery store. The sense of vulnerability about our national security has long since given way to a numb belief that society is as is on a collision course to somewhere, and the prospect that the November election would lead to a reasoned and reasonable political climate seems to be turning on the same old politics of confrontation. Perhaps numbness is not the word. Perhaps despair. Well, let me say, I didn't come to preach a sermon about the hard realities. You know them as well or better than I do. Rather, I want to restate The question with which I began, it is one that haunts my spiritual reflection and haunts my prayers. Shall we live by a dream or by the very real nightmares of our time? Perhaps that's a question for us to be posing to ourselves as on Wednesday we enter the season of Lent. Take one of our most unsettling nightmares, the violence of the dreadful events of 9-11-2001. Where were you when you first heard about the monstrous acts of deadly violence that shook the nation and the world? Let me tell you where I was. I spent much of my time in the years since I retired as Bishop of Connecticut, leading retreats, offering myself as a spiritual director, a kind of companion or counselor to people about their life encounter with God. After a half century as a priest, I know a lot about religious struggle, my own and those of the people I meet. Early that September morning, I was in a parish house of a church in Montpelier, Vermont, meeting with a man whose life was falling apart. He was was a successful manager of a small business, but he struggled with religious doubt as well as the tortured dynamics of a marriage that was falling apart. We finished our hour-long meeting just before 9 a.m. went downstairs to the church office and there were met by the breaking news of the first plane striking the World Trade Center. The whole day was like that. Five more persons and I met during the course of it to talk about their faith. Where was God? Where is God, we ask? Not solely about our own day-to-day struggles to make sense of our marriages and our jobs and our health issues and the rhythms of birth and dying, but about our place in a world driven by intractable forces spinning out of control, disastrously shattering our American sense that somehow we were exempt from the vulnerability which is the daily lot of other peoples and nations. Late that afternoon, the downtown churches there in Montpelier came together to pray. We were a troubled crowd. I was asked to preach, and the only words I could find in myself were ones which took the form of questions to God, not affirmations. What is this the beginning of? We do not need words which try to explain the enormity of what has happened, words which inevitably fail to reassure us in our fear that the bottom has dropped out of our national sense of destiny. We come to God, we come to you, in perplexity, in grief, in loss. We ask only that to those words may be added trust, hope, determination to continue in the way of peace ourselves as believers in God and you, God, in your love for ourselves, for this nation, for the world. The poet Rimbo says, spiritual combat. Harder than men's battles. Face the fact. Struggle is the common currency of our time. And the most critical struggle is not a matter of weapons and control. It's a struggle for the soul of humankind. God does not plant in us a spirit of fear. But the offer of love and of a sound mind, which shall be, uh, be for us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a nation. Desmond Tutu is one of my spiritual heroes over a lifetime of dramatic challenge, first to the apartheid society in which he grew up, and then in a dozen other cultural struggles in a world in travel, he powerfully has sought to link biblical faith with an African word and concept. Ubuntu. Ubuntu means humanity, as it is used in a proverbial expression from his own Kosa people. Each individual's humanity is expressed. In relationship with others, or a person depends on other persons to be a person, or simply, I am because we are. Listen to Tutu. A person is not basically. An individ, an independent, solitary entity. A person is human, precisely as being enveloped in the community of other beings, in being caught up in the bundle of life. To be is to participate. The summa bonum, the greatest good here is not independence, but sharing interdependence. And what is true of the human person is true of human aggregations. Like Trinity Church, High Edition. Surely that is what Paul is saying to us when he wrote, we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Him, Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves, for Jesus' sake. Again, Tutu, echoing Paul. We are each meant to be a God-bearer, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. To treat anyone as less than this is not just wrong. It is to spit in the face of God. Consequently, Injustice, racism, exploitation, oppression are to be opposed not as a political task but as a response to a religious or spiritual imperative. I was asked to come to Trinity this morning to the adult forum to talk about the Millennium Development Goals. The international effort initiated by the United Nations in the year 2000 and subscribed to by virtually every nation under the globe. It's an ambitious vision of a truly worldwide initiative to drastically reduce hunger, disease, and oppression around the globe by the year 2015. But like the political rhetoric about the need for change in the recent campaign, to happen it has to be rooted somewhere in the soul. It's not a political agenda, but a spiritual one. For Christians, it belongs here, at the table of the Lord. And in the prayers you and I offer up, even as we anguish, with what seems our very limited resources and our flagging spirits. Get it right, Paul says in another one of his letters. Lay aside the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This parish of Trinity is located in Concord the seed of the American Revolution. That must serve as a reminder that whatever our flaws are as a nation, we have seldom, seldom wasted the crises of the past. Today, America has its own homegrown economic and social crisis. The fallout from Katrina in New Orleans and Mississippi a short time ago Exposed drastic third world conditions in our midst, ones which now seem to spread to every region in the current meltdown. I want to applaud Trinity for the wide range of outreach that you have conducted among our neighbors, domestic and global. In all the concentric circles that spread out from here. And I really do encourage you, all of you, to attend the forums the next week with a remarkable series of speakers on the global challenge of the Millennium Development Goals. I want to leave you with another word from Tutu, because I think Desmond says it just right. We do not need to be too clever. We must just be receptive, open, appreciative, to smell the fragrance of the flowers, to feel the cold splash of the rain, to catch the familiar odor of damp soil, to see the ragged mother dandling her malnutrition, mal- malnourished baby in rags. And then maybe to be moved to cry, to pray, to be silent, and to let the spirit inside us pray with groanings that cannot be put into words. To marvel at the fact that poor, hungry people can laugh, can love, can be caring, can share, can nurture and embrace, can cry can whimper, can crawl over and die, that these tattered rags of humanity are Jesus Christ, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. They are God's stand-ins, created in His image. They are precious. They have their names engraved on God's palms. The hairs of their head are numbered. And God knows them, those non-entities, those anonymous ones, who are killed and nobody seems to care. For they are us. And we must always look forward, not back and always and forever be people of the dream. Amen.